because I have the duality of being in the U.S. but also being Nigerian, of seeing firsthand that the status quo is not enough. The luxury then is that I have the ability to not see the world as it is, but see the world as it should be. Welcome to the For the Love podcast with me, Jen Hatmaker. Today, we are talking about how to support Black entrepreneurs with innovator and business powerhouse, Jessica O. Matthews. Hey, everybody, Jen Hatmaker here, your host of the For the Love podcast. Welcome to the show. So right now, we are in a series that I love, my team loves, you are loving. It's called For the Love of Black Lives. The podcast crew, we just wanted to use our space to engage this important national, racial not just conversation, but reckoning, and wanted just to invite some of the most poignant, thoughtful, innovative, creative, and courageous leaders of color into this series so we could listen, so we can learn, so we can expand, so we could join them in their work, in their creative pursuits. And so you're going to love today's conversation. Today I love, because we talked to a phenomenal young Black entrepreneur. Before I introduce her to you, I don't have to tell you that we are living in two different Americas, right? According to the Brookings Institution, half of Black Americans who are poor, born poor, stay poor. And the median wealth of white households is now 13 times greater than for Black households. The numbers don't lie, right? So there's a huge opportunity gap when it comes to both making a living and accumulating wealth in this country based on the color of our skin. So at every level, we need to empower Black students, Black entrepreneurs, Black artisans, Black workers, Black leaders. We have to change this unlevel playing field so that security is possible, safety is possible for every single person, right? And for generations to come. And so my next guest isn't someone who's waiting for someone else to level the playing field. Okay. She created her own playing field. So Jessica Matthews is the founder and the CEO of Uncharted Power, which began as a power generation company and has since grown to this sustainable infrastructure company, Jessica's Technology, which takes the physical form of a paver called the Uncharted System, which she explains, is actually a solution that will streamline the development and operations of sustainable smart infrastructure for communities literally around the world. She's really going to unpack that because it's exciting and it's important. She's specifically focused on under-resourced and underserved communities getting priority access to this technology. And no big deal, but she originally founded her company when she was 22 years old. (laughs) A little bit more about Jessica. She's, we talked about this too. She's a dual citizen of Nigeria and the United States. You're going to love hearing about her parents. She has an MBA from Harvard Business School. She has a list of accolades like as long as my arm, including Forbes 30 under 30 list, Black Enterprises Innovator of the Year, and the Harvard Foundation's Scientist of the Year. 
Okay. So I'm just saying she's powerful. She's powerful. And you're going to see her vision for the world, her vision for the flourishing of all communities is more than just an idea. She's making it happen. She's making it possible. This is so exciting to get to listen to a leader of this caliber. You're going to love what you hear today. So I am so pleased to share my conversation with the very brilliant Jessica Matthews. Jessica, welcome to the For the Love podcast. I am just absolutely delighted to get to talk to you. I'm super excited to speak with you too. Thanks for having me. Yeah, absolutely. Gosh, I cannot wait for this interview. I cannot wait for my community to hear from you and to hear about you. You are just just a real force on this earth. I've told my listeners a little bit about who you are, kind of your background, your credentials, which are so incredible. But I would love to hear more about you in your own words, if you don't mind, because I'll tell you this, any woman who describes herself as the wannabe love child of Beyonce and Bill Nye, the science guy, I want to be your friend. You had me at that. Can you high level a little bit about you for my community? Sure. High level, I'm a dual citizen of Nigeria and the United States. High level, I'm a daughter, a sister, a friend, a partner, but I'm, you know, I'm also a CEO. I am addicted to solving the world's hardest problems because I have the benefit, in my opinion, as a competitive advantage, as the benefit to be intimately connected to the groups of people who tend to get the, the short end of the stick when we don't solve these problems in an efficient and sustainable way. I'm a woman, I'm a black person. I'm someone who has a brother, you know, with a, with a severe disability, which means he'll always need someone to take care of him. And I have to think about how the world treats him. For me, that has meant that, you know, I've spent a good chunk of my life now really thinking through, you know, what does it actually mean for every single person on this planet to have access to sustainable infrastructure and like specifically what do I mean is what does it mean for us to build the world in a way where every single person no matter your color no matter your gender no matter your creed or religion has access to security and opportunity in your life and how do we ensure you know you everyone will die but on that day how do we amplify the ability for a person to say that I have a full life rooted in security and with unlimited opportunity. That's what gets me up in the morning. That's why I do what I do. It's at my core of my, my true north and my why. That is a very serious North Star. I mean, that is not low-hanging fruit. You are going for it. Those are audacious and incredible goals. And of scaffolding on which to hang your entire life. I loved hearing you say that. So this makes me curious about this next question. I would love to hear about your growing up years. I've seen your parents on Instagram, cannot get enough of them. It seems like they laid a really solid foundation for you and your siblings. And 
just hammered home that you could do whatever you put your minds to. Would you talk a little bit about your parents and your family and how specifically they encourage your curiosity and your huge, enormous dreams? Oh my gosh, yes. My father, you know, I like using mashups. If you can imagine the father from Coming to America. Yes. Mixed with Tony Soprano, the character. (laughs) Mixed with Samuel L. Jackson. That is my father. That is my father. That's outstanding. Like, he was born in Nigeria in the deep village, you know, to a father that was a native doctor. Grew up so poor that for a while he he couldn't eat corn because all they had to eat was corn. Saved to go to college. He went to college in Italy. Went to the U.S. where he got his Ph.D. in technology operations from NYU Polytechnic. And that's where he met my mom in Brooklyn in class in grad school. And it's funny because my mom just grew up a couple towns away from him in Nigeria. Wow, weird. My father is a builder. He's a pusher. He's a scientist. You know, he's the guy that, you know, really believes in the idea that, like, truly, if you can Google it, you can do it. You can teach yourself. Don't, don't wait for someone to teach you. I know he started out working at IBM, you know, uh, really much as an industrial engineer and did a lot to help improve their supply chain, help them get quite a few patents in, uh, by developing algorithms to improve their supply chain before starting his own business that focused on hardware and software solutions for governments. But, you know, what I really appreciate with him is having the foundation of someone who's done very hard things and a hard no one has looked like him and while he you know never had raised around but he has done work with governments he's done work on the local national and international scale he's done hardware and software he understands kind of foundationally what it takes to have to be everything for your company to drive it forward right and you know, at 21, he was bringing me into rooms with heads of state in Nigeria to understand how he was going to get a procurement service agreement signed. That's awesome. You know, he was the person who was, you know, showing me how he, you know, the, the prospectus for a 30 megawatt hydropower dam, right? And saying, hey, you're on the board of this thing, so you better understand it. And I'm like, oh, okay, all right. And so he, he did give me that exposure. It's so, so huge. And he was one of my first investors. Like he was able to, was he? you know, the big thing for, you know, that is <clears throat> you are not going to, you're not going to be what you can't see, but you're also not going to be anything without some help. 150%. I am someone who is fortunate enough to stand on his shoulders. And then there's my mom. She like first went to art school. She's like very different kind of, she's the artist. But I, I think I love that because I have in me like truly both of them. Yeah, I love it. But my mom very much is like the, the chief of staff of the family. She, everyone speaks to her and that's how everyone knows everyone's okay. <laughs> totally. I get that. I can say unequivocally that I am who I am today, that I am anything worth being anything because of that woman. She is my favorite inventor. Uh, she has no patents, but she's the one that's like, if you tell her no, she'll be like, nah, let me just keep trying. She's the one that like, she was actually the one very specifically that would even push my dad, all of us to say, whatever's being given to you is not what you need to accept. She was the one that said, Ose, you'll never be rich if you work for anyone. She was the one that would say, okay, you're saying your company can be worth this, but why not this? Every little thing, even like little things in school, like when I got a bad lottery for the dorms we were getting in business school, she's like, Ose, 
you know, okay, I guess, you know, maybe you're, uh, you're too old for me to uh, fix this, but you know what to do. So it's like, don't just take this lottery. And I mean, I went, I got the best apartment on campus because I was like always finding a way, always pushing, always finding a way. That's my mom. That's what my mom really gave me and this family. I remember when I, you know, when my sister first got into Harvard and like uh, my parents were concerned that they wouldn't be able to afford it. My dad was just like, oh, I guess you'll have to go to state school. And like, my mom was like, I do need, I know what to do. And that's when she brought her like, MBA in finance into filling out all these FAFSA forms where we ended up paying less to go to Harvard than we did to go to high school. No way. That's my mom. The artistic, unrelenting, will find a way kind of person. And then my dad, the scientific, kind of hardworking, will push as long as there's an opportunity on the other side. What a legacy. I have great parents. I mean, that's incredible. I'll tell you what, after 2020, there's never been a better time to take stock of where you are and think about how you're carrying everything in your life. And if you have a feeling that the way you're carrying things doesn't quite feel right, you might find it helpful to talk to a professional counselor via BetterHelp. So with BetterHelp, you can connect with a licensed professional counselor in a safe and private online environment. BetterHelp's counselors are specialized in whatever you're struggling with. Stress, anxiety, depression, LGBTQ issues, family conflict, you name it. And listen, you're definitely not alone in this. In fact, so many people have been using BetterHelp. They're recruiting additional counselors in all 50 states. I want you to start living a happier life today. As one of my listeners, you'll get 10% off your first month at betterhelp.com slash for the love. Join over a million people taking charge of their mental health. Again, that's betterhelp.com slash for the love. All right, back to our show. So you mentioned this earlier, but in your own words, you said you are obsessed with this idea of universal access to clean, reliable, and cost-effective power because my family in Nigeria needed it and still needs it. I wonder if you could tell us more about your sort of aha moment at your family member's wedding in Nigeria, which to some degree kind of changed everything for you. You know, it's interesting. I kind of feel like I had less of one aha moment, but more I've been very blessed to have a series of aha moments. You know, I think what it comes down to is that I I believe that luck is an acronym. It stands for laboring under correct knowledge. I've been lucky because I've been pushing very hard with, I think, the right true north. And so for me, from the start, when taking it back to that wedding in Nigeria, like I've been to Nigeria multiple times, I knew we would lose power, but there was something very specific about the fact that we lose power, we're bringing a diesel generator, the fumes are horrible, I feel sick, and my cousins who are engineers, who are young men in Nigeria, who just see the whole world as their oyster, are like, don't worry, you'll get used to it when I say this is a problem. That was a, huh, oh man, like, mm, that doesn't seem like the way it would be. I'm 17, like, right, so the way you get used to, pro- like, the way you fix problems is by getting used to them and just, like, yeah. like 
Right. Like what? Like that doesn't seem right. Right. We got to be able to do better than that. We got to be able to do better than that. And so that was a huh moment. And then it wasn't until I took the class later, almost like almost two years later, that there was like a product that came out of it. But for me, I think it was a series of huh moments that then led to a series of, of like me working incredibly hard to get the aha moment. So that was the first hmm moment. And then right when I came back from Nigeria after that trip, during that year, I lost three people in my family. I lost my aunt, who was uh, younger than I am now. I lost my uncle and I lost my grandfather, all from my mother's side of the family, all from the family that I knew the most. And to me, there were all things that could have either been delayed or avoided entirely if they had access just to a, a better infrastructure to give them and the opportunity that they need in their lives. And so that's when I had the second huh moment because I saw this sadness that my family was dealing with. In my mind, I was like, okay, you can't cure death, but it is breaking my heart. And it still breaks my heart when I think about it to imagine that on, in, in their last moment, in their last breath, that there could have been a pretty strong chance that they felt the same way my cousins felt, that their life perhaps wasn't as full as they wanted it, Y'all are probably going to want more time, but it's even worse when you feel like your life was a shell of what was possible. And that juxtaposition is very real. We live in a world that's very, very big, but also very small. Someone who doesn't have a home, access to reliable power, food, security, all these different things, they're not living in a world assuming everyone's like that. They fully are aware of the fact that there are some people who have multiple homes amazing power and all the food that they could want. So that almost makes it worse. That for me, I was like, well, that definitely doesn't seem right. And that was my other hump. And the first aha came when I was taking that class and it was an energy generating soccer ball because I was like, well, maybe the first thing is to inspire people to realize that they can be part of creating the world that they want by taking something as tangible and as exciting as a soccer ball, the most popular sport in the world, and, and bridging the gap between that experience and the way that they view something as scary as energy access. That was an aha moment. And it was such a huge one. And I, and I ran with it, but it, and it got me closer. It wasn't the full solution, right? It, but it did inspire me to, to even enter the space. Yeah, exactly. And, and it was just about growing and not settling for just that first aha, but always going back to can I do more to make life more full? And what it came to then was more energy generating products and then eventually looking at just new models for the energy ecosystem to starting to build infrastructure solutions and the guts to get into it. To getting to where we are now, there's an African proverb. They say, what we wish to bequeath to our children is really only two things, roots and wings. We all as human beings are looking for security in the basics, our food, our, our power, but also our jobs, like our ability to build families. And we're looking also for opportunity to grow, to, to live our fullest lives. That's, and all technology should do is one of those two things, if not both. And if it's not, it's stupid. Yeah. And so it. what we did was realize that there needs to be an integration of how we develop and manage infrastructure so that everyone in the world can have access to sustainable smart infrastructure. So what we created is a system that basically addresses the power grids issue. So power right now, the main issue is not so much actually where you're getting the power from, 
What makes it really sustainable is how we get the power where it's going. So the, the cables, the cables and all that, overhead cables, as everyone probably knows now, they're super vulnerable. There's a little bit of wind, you lose power for a long time. You want to put the cables in the ground and it's really expensive to access it and fix it. And then also there's like all these smart like solutions for, for grids, but they're not really that smart because they don't have any way to collect enough data on how power is being used. So you can more effectively manage that system sustainably, like where power should go and how much. We created a paver solution. There's a paver you can put in the ground that actually addresses those physical and digital limitations for the power grid. It makes it easier to put the cables in the ground so that they're safer, more resilient. And it makes it easier to get the data that you need to actually have a real smart grid system that gets people the power that they need. But the thing is, it does a little, it does more than that because once you're able to streamline the way power goes everywhere, now you can unlock all of those smart city, quote unquote, smart city functions that people have been talking about for the last 20 years that haven't been deployed at scale because we couldn't figure out the power problem. So we're able to put like sensors that can tell if there's going to be a water main break. We're able to sense if there's a gas leak. We're able to embed technology for, for connectivity and high-speed broadband and all these different things in the ground so that everyone has all the infrastructure that they need. But that the big thing though is that what we then give the municipality, the city, is a way to manage all of this infrastructure in one place with a dashboard, digital dashboard, linking all of this infrastructure in their most underutilized asset that they have, the ground. And the result is anywhere from 30 to 40% cut in costs that, that creates. Now, why is this huge? Because of COVID, almost every single community is gonna have at least a 20% budget cut with increasing costs to actually serve their people. What we do is we go in and we say, let us install our system and in, in your sidewalks and your roads, link the power, we'll link the 5G and all this stuff to create this great thing. And we'll give you a system that's gonna help you save money when you operate this. It's great. And you don't have to pay us. We're just gonna take a percentage of what we save. Wow. Now that we were able to unlock, not just how you bridge the gap between power infrastructure and all these things that are supposed to make our world better, but we've been able to do it in a way where we're not asking the city for any money. Wow, what a cool financial model. Exactly, and that's, that's the key, to make sure that you're not asking the city to, to be rich before they can get the infrastructure that they need. Yeah. Wow, that's incredible. The vision of that is so extraordinary and possible. So exciting. Like we've already started working in our, we've had a couple pilots before COVID, but the big one that I'm so happy stayed despite everything is uh, actually our first city pilot. As in, in, you know, in a year, you'll be able to just walk in this truly sustainable, smart city. It's not going to be behind some gated thing. We chose a city that is not like the sexy New York's and LA's and it is a city like most cities in America and in that way, I think like most cities in this world that have people that have thought for a long time that, that to get anywhere, they'd have to leave home. And now we're really hoping that they don't. Oh my gosh, that's amazing. Your family has adapted to a lot of change this year. And while this Halloween may look a little different, the treats don't have to stop at candy. No tricks, I promise. 
With KiwiCo, your kid can get super cool, hands-on science, art, and geography projects delivered to their door every month. And listen, KiwiCo has something for every kid, no matter their age. Check this out. They have this Kiwi crate for kids ages five to eight, where in one shipment, Kids might get materials to make this super cool claw with an extendable arm, and then they can use it to create an arcade-style claw game to pick up little pom-poms. In another shipment, kids might make a stomp rocket, which is exactly what it sounds like. When they're done putting it together, they can jump on a launch pad and send a rocket straight into the sky. So fun. KiwiCo is redefining learning with hands-on projects that build confidence, creativity, and critical thinking skills. There is something for every kid or kid at heart at KiwiCo. So get 30% off your first month plus free shipping on any crate line at KiwiCo.com slash for the love. I'll spell that for you. It's KiwiCo, K-I-W-I-C-O.com slash for the love for 30% off your first month plus free shipping. Hey guys, back to our show. I read that, because obviously this is world changing vision here. I read that you are only the 13th black woman founder to have received more than a million dollars in venture capital funding, which is really worth parsing out and examining because here you have this incredible idea, the dream, the brains to build the company. And yet the data says clearly you have likely had way more hurdles than a white creator or inventor would have had in the exact same position, exact same idea. So I would like to talk about how in this world where supposedly great ideas are prized and prioritized and valued, especially like yours when they have the potential to generate revenue and solve an enormous problem on the planet. Can you talk to me a little bit about the barriers that, because you're at the intersection of being a black woman. So you've got, because you're in a male dominated field too. And so can you talk about what those barriers are, how you experience them? What do you see from your vantage point? What's your perspective on this inequality in the world of innovation? I'm not going to say it's not frustrating to know that you are working way harder than your peers to get a fraction of what they're getting. And I'm not going to say that, you know, at some points you're just like, you need resources to do big things when you have big ideas and it's tough that things take so much longer, especially when you don't have those resources. But that said, it's like that said, I guess I feel really lucky to not be those guys. Why? Well, two things. One, I know that when I make it, I'll be better than them. Because if for this whole time I have to carry 50 pounds and you have to carry 10, when we meet, guess who's stronger? Wow. That's number one. If you let me in that ring, don't let me land a punch. Mm. Because I've been trained, my lifetime of training, I came into the game, had to do rocky runs while you over here, like, like with your hula hoop. So like, it's right. You're in shape. That's number one, which is like a, a, a readiness to take hits. Right. And then you have, I think the second thing is I don't think, we, will ha- we would have solved this problem if I 
did not have the intersectionality that I have to lean into, right? Yeah, totally. At the end of it's the an day, asset in and of itself. Yeah, at the end of the day, all of these guys, the big companies, the Googles, the Amazons, or whatever, they had all the money in the world. And they have all been trying to solve this same problem. How do we, like, go beyond just our computers and our phones and deploy smart infrastructure into the built environment, into our world. Because let's just face it, like that's their, their business model, right? Their business model is to provide some sort of convenient service platform, right? So Google makes it easier for us to get onto the internet, like from, the, from Gmail to Google Hangouts to everything. It's free infrastructure. It's a platform that gets us to websites and businesses and helps businesses get to us. You know, Amazon created a platform that helps with delivery, right? Helps businesses actually send things to people and for us the things that we need. It's all a service delivery platform. And what that has enabled for all these businesses, literally all of them, Alibaba, all of them, is you put something out there that's convenient enough and you end up getting all these data insights, right? It can be transformed into hundreds of data products and data services, but then ultimately they've all entered into the cloud infrastructure business. Like the business of... The, the world that manages all this data, AWS, whatever, that's their thing. And they're all struggling, though, to figure out how to make it something that goes beyond just your computer. They've done a few smart, cute things like Google Nest and whatever, but they haven't been able to break into the physical world. And so what you have then is all these one-off smart city solutions, but that haven't really caught steam. The reason why they've been spending so much money, take even Sidewalk Labs, Google's trying to build this smart city that they put literally hundreds of millions of dollars in and they close it down because the people in the city were like, no, get out of here with your weird tech. What happened? Well, the reality is that all of these people were innovating based on the perspective that power is just fine. They all have their perspective of growing up in the U.S. with everything that they need. So if you just assume that if you live in a world where everything just works, where we go and flip a switch and it works, where you're not wondering if you're going to have clean water, because you, you, you never would live in Flint, Michigan, and you never had. You're basing everything you're innovating on on the assumption that the status quo is good enough. Where for me, because I have the duality of being in the U.S., but also being Nigerian, of seeing firsthand that the status quo is not enough. I was able to start my innovation journey a couple steps back from where they were starting there. And so as a result, I was able to drive a, a, a team that found the, the actual missing link that like was keeping us from having truly scalable modular infrastructure to serve the world's needs. And that's 100% because I had the ability to see that there was actually a bigger problem than what people wanted to admit, right? And so I, the luxury then is that I have the ability to not see the world as it is, but see the world as it should be. And that's something that would not have happened if I, not only if I wasn't just Nigerian American, but if I wasn't a woman of color, like it's all those things. Women are usually the ones that have to deal with the infrastructure that doesn't make sense to keep the family going, you know? Black and brown people are usually the ones that are in the communities that get the short end of the stick. And so that's right. Yeah. It, you know, it is incredibly frustrating, but also so exciting that my main advantage, that my main advantage over them is that they don't look like me. Wow. That's powerful. I love that answer. It's just, I'm sitting here smiling. It's, it's so empowering and it's so true. 
you walk in stronger, you walk in smarter and able to go the distance quicker and faster. I mean, that's an incredible perspective. Let me ask you this because, you know, you're not just an innovator, you're a leader. And so I know that company culture is definitely created at the top and it flows from there. So as a leader too, leading people, what kinds of values have you put in place for your team? What matters to you? What's important to your sort of culture that you are creating? Yeah, you know, especially this year, it's been really important for me to invite the team to bring their whole self to work. Oh, I just used to just talk about, you know, some milestone without having the context of the real world around us. And I've told the team many times, like, none of this matters if we're not acknowledging what you're experiencing, especially this year. So that's one really big thing that this is definitely a team where you're meant to bring it all in versus the uncomfortable stuff away, you know, and leave it out. This is a, a team where we, we work very hard. We push very hard. We have very high standards, but we do it with this understanding that we're, it, we're doing it for more than ourselves, right? We're, we're trying truly to set an example of what we think a company should be and that you can do well and do good at the same time. But I think that the number one thing for me from a culture perspective is humanity. I tell my team, like, I will tell you when I don't know, because it's better for me to be honest and say, I don't know. And especially in a year like this, so that when I say I know something, you have that, you have that certainty. And there's a team where we want to learn from each other. It's not a team of everyone who looks like me. It's a team of people who look like the world. And the benefit we have is that when people share their troubles and people share their perspective and their concerns, I think that ends up being, you know, our also like kind of superpower that we can kind of get ideas and think about how certain things will affect all types of people uh, because we have all of those voices in the room. And we, we try to create a space where people feel safe to, to share all of that as well. That matters. And isn't necessarily a given. Sometimes that, that sort of corporate culture can be rare where your vulnerability is not punished in any way. And in fact, it's rewarded. I find that so admirable. And I'm sure that means that your people trust you. That creates trust and connectivity. I, that doesn't surprise me to hear you say any of that. I really respect that. Another thing that I respect about you is you have decided to use your influence for good in more than one way, which is goes even beyond what it is that you innovate and offer the world in terms of smart solutions. You created a nonprofit arm of your company called the Harlem Tech Fund. Can you talk a little bit more about it and how you specifically see tech leading toward a new Harlem Renaissance? Yeah, no, of course. In an effort to lean in, right, to the things that make us us, when we raised our Series A four years ago, I decided to move the company to have its headquarters in Harlem, mostly because, you know, I felt that Harlem was a really great microcosm of the world. And I do believe that part of how you design and develop, it will be influenced by your environment. And so rather than kind of getting caught in our own heads of like being a startup or, you know, being communities that only have kind of one or two types of people, wanted to be in, in a community where just from walking from the subway to the office, you see five, six, seven types. of people. But the thing is, like, I knew that that value, what we'd be getting from the community would be so great that we would have to have a mechanism, a streamlined mechanism for giving back. And so the Harlem Tech Fund is a 501c3 that was specifically designed to create kind of a Silicon Valley for the underdog. We need for people to build successful 
tech companies without feeling like they had to go to Silicon Valley. And so we focused on education. That was a really big one. We had partnership with the USPTO to teach people how to protect their big ideas. We did events on how to pitch. We helped host Shark Tank events and actually got someone community funded from Barbara Corcoran. We tried to just create an event space also for people to be able to come and join and meet. And whenever possible, we tried to bring investors to the community to see what was going on. Now with, with COVID, we've you know, we're definitely a much more decentralized team, but a lot of that work still stands. Every place that we're working, we still have work that we're doing in Harlem and New York City consistently. We transformed our entire STEM curriculum, Uplift. We transformed that into a digital curriculum at the top of COVID. And they've already put hundreds of kids through that digital curriculum to learn how to invent just this year. As we like look in building our first sustainable smart city, we're, we're getting ready to do that same type of programming there. And so in many ways, the kind of ethos of the Harlem Tech Fund has also decentralized where it's, it's about every community from in, in this country. And I think, yeah, around the world, every community where people are wondering what's going to happen to them, they're going to be forgotten. That's where we like to go and where we go in and say, the last thing we're going to do is put some technology in the ground. The first thing we're going to do is hear you, listen, try to see where we can fill the gaps of the stuff that's already happening that's amazing on the ground because all these communities already have very hardworking, dedicated organizations that are trying to do good. So we'll see where can we be the glue to help just amplify what's already happening and how can we support the, the basics that people need in the short term so that when we do unlock our technology and all that it can do, you're not like, oh, wow, this is the first awesome thing that Uncharted Power has done. You're like, oh, yeah, Uncharted Power, they're, they're our friend, they care. And this is just one more thing, like in a list of others that are done kind of in partnership to try to just uplift the global society in a, in a very direct and intentional way. Oh my gosh. I love it so much, Jessica. So fantastic. I love your approach to community development, to come in as listeners and learners and work in cahoots with the people on the ground. That is just, that's everything I believe about development in the whole entire world. That is beautiful. Guys, I've just watched the dearest movie that you've got to go see. It's warm and rich and made me feel all the feelings, like all of them. It's called Two Hearts, and you can check it out in theaters on October 16th. Yay! So Two Hearts is based on an inspirational true story, which I love. And trust me, it's just like a movie we need right now. Do you know what I mean? It's a romantic journey. And it celebrates life and love and generosity. And it'll help you remember that miracles still happen. Two Hearts centers around two couples. Chris is a college freshman. And when he falls for a spirited classmate named Sam, she helps him find this purpose that he's been so searching for. And then when we travel back in time, we meet a Cuban exile named Jorge, who falls for flight attendant named Leslie. And listen... These couples were never supposed to meet each other, but fate has something unexpected in store that will dramatically change all their lives. So you're going to have to see it to find out how. Mark your calendars, two hearts in theaters only nationwide on October 16th. Okay, back to our show. As we wrap it up here, 
I want to ask you some questions that I'm actually asking everybody in this series and just top of your head. Here's the first one. And obviously this could probably go on and on. So you're just going to have to pick, but for you, who have been some of your greatest role models? Oof, my greatest role models. I tell this you know, to everyone all the time. I was really lucky to have come of age from the age of 20 to 28 when Michelle Obama was first lady. Michelle Obama is 5'11", dark-skinned, intelligent, black woman, strong woman, intellectually, physically, spiritually, and she made it okay for me to be me. And during that very pivotal time, right, 20 to 28, we all know the time, she made it okay for me to be me. And that was huge. I really, really look up to, I definitely look up to Oprah and all that she's done, especially early on in her career. Uh, that was a, a really big one. This is actually kind of random, but I, I look up to Angela Bassett too. If we're just going to go down the list because I don't know what's going on there. She just looks, I mean, we, I don't talk about Angela Bassett enough, but she's just whatever. It's it sorcery. I mean, yeah, is it wizardry? Exactly. Whatever's happening over there. I want some of that. She also always plays a very strong character, right? Like, so that's always been very exciting. I just want to throw her in there too. But no, I mean, like I, I have found that, especially in 2020, it has been less about looking up to any one person and more about just being reminded that we should all be our own heroes and that we all be heroes to others. I'm inspired by the fact that, you know, Joe Biden has dealt with loss so courageously. I'm inspired by the fact that Kamala Harris's mother came to this country to be a cancer researcher and then died of cancer. And her daughters are still pushing for good, you know? I'm inspired by anyone who deigns to keep going. It feels like there's something personally and professionally pushing us back. And so I have a lot of role models. I have a lot of people who excite me and remind me that, you know, in this life, if we're lucky, we're going to have, what, 5,000, 6,000? That's about it. In this life, we're lucky. If you live to like 80, 90 We'll have about 5,000, 6,000 weeks. That's about it. Yeah. When I have a crazy week, when I'm stressed, when I'm feeling overwhelmed. I mean, it's like, there's also this sense of gratitude. I think that I got another week, that I got another day to try to push and do something. And so just opposed with the way other people are handling, whether they're, what they did with fewer weeks, like the recent passing of uh, Chadwick Boseman, I think what's what really hit people with that is not just that he passed, but that when he was sick is when he filmed most of the things that changed our lives. He had 200 weeks and he decided to tell some stories that would stay with us forever and that would give us a grounding to be all we could be. And so those are the things that inspire me. Yeah, great answer. How about this one? Who are some of your favorite artists or teachers or leaders or entrepreneurs that you would like us to be paying attention to and watching and learning from and supporting? Oh, man. There's an artist, Tobe Nigwe, and his wife that he calls like fat, but she's not. He's really exciting. He's a Nigerian-American artist that is putting out some really interesting music. It has a really cool aesthetic. Cynthia Revo, I think, is someone to watch. She's one of my friends, and she played Harriet Tubman in the movie. Oh, yeah. Oh, she's incredible. 
And I think that, you know, she just recently launched her own production company. I think there's going to be some really exciting things. That's great. I'd love to hear that. I mean, there's a general group of Black female founders called Visible Figures. And there's like a hundred of them from, gosh, Stephanie Lampkin to to Kristen Jones that I I really think people should pay attention to because great, great category. All of us who like got through this year, again, now imagine a bunch of people who have been lifting 50 pound weights when everyone has 10 pound weights being like, oh, here, oh, the next decade is going to be wild. So I would totally everyone in that group for sure. Oh, that's great. Everybody listening will link to all of those folks and organizations and cohorts so you can dive in and look a little better. Okay, here's the last question, Jessica. And I ask every single guest in every single series this, and you can answer it however you want. We have had every kind of answer. So it's from one of my favorite teachers. Her name is Barbara Brown Taylor. Her question is this, what is saving your life right now? I hope this doesn't sound ridiculous, but because like everything in me is like, oh, is this going to be lame? But if I'm being honest, I am so, so, so lucky to have found the love of my life. And his name is Chris. Yay. And he's just a really good man. I love it. He's a really, really, really good man. Trying to get to, he's a really good That's man. so good. All the ways. And this year, this whole experience, we're actually getting ready to go on vacation tomorrow and his birthday's coming up. And so I'm doing all these fancy special things for him. But like this year, it's getting to the point where as much as I stand on, you know, who I am, my own two feet, like female empowerment. Yeah. Sure. Conceptually, even when he gets on my nerves, like, whoa, I do not want to live life without him. Oh, that's so dear. How could you possibly have thought that was going to be a lame answer? That's so hopeful and sweet. I'm so happy for you. Oh, thank you. Okay. So before we hop off, can you just tell my listeners where to find you, where they can discover more about you, your work, everything? Yes, of course. So you can find me definitely on Instagram. It's Jessomat, J-E-S-S-O-M-A-T-T, at Jessomat. And I do most of my stuff on Instagram. You can link to there. I put some things out on Twitter, but it's mostly there. And I tend to repost a lot of things from my company as well. If you want to follow uh, Uncharted Power, you can check out basically at UPowerCo on, on Twitter. I think it's like at Uncharted Power on Instagram. And our website's getting a full overhaul, but in a couple of weeks, you should also go and check out u-pwr.co. The letter u-pwr.co. And everybody listening, if you couldn't catch all that at once, we will have all of this on the transcript at jenhatmaker.com. All these links, all the everything, all the websites, all the incredible suggestions. Well, it'll be a one-stop shop for you to find out more and to follow Jessica everywhere she's at. Okay, I'm just cheering you on, like in every possible way. I am really proud of your courage and your innovation and your commitment to the flourishing of the world. It's just, I feel so honored to know you. And so I am just, I'm in your corner, like in every possible way, any way that can ever support you or help you or help your work expand. I'm here for it. Thank you so much, Jen. This was really fun and just like a a nice way to kind of just, yeah, be open and chat. And uh, I really appreciate you giving me a chance to connect with your audience and your community. Absolutely. The pleasure's ours. Thanks, Jessica. Thank you.
okay, guys, she's out there doing it. She's out there doing it. I mean, from idea to implementation to world changer. So exciting. I love talking to people like Jessica who just would never take no or we don't think so or maybe later for an answer, but just forge ahead with strength and with courage. My favorite thing that I heard her say today was the resiliency and the strength and the stamina that carrying 50 pounds to get to where you were versus all your competitors, 10 pounds they had to carry, what that builds inside of you. I, I'm not going to quit thinking about that. I hope that encourages any one of you who's having to carry 50 pounds to everybody else's 10 and the sort of shape that will put you in for success, for overcoming, for recovery, for building. I loved, loved that concept. So again, jenhatmaker.com will have the whole thing, the transcript, the recording, all the links to everything Jessica mentioned, her stuff, all of her suggestions. You can get it all there. More to come in this incredible series, more leaders to learn from, to listen from, to follow, to join. So fun, so powerful. Thanks for tuning in week in and week out. Jessica, is somebody that I've been I'm thrilled to put in front of you so on behalf of Laura and Amanda and I we love you we appreciate you we'll see you next week